Leslie. Welcome back to the Clunatics Podcast. Hi, Kurt. How are you doing? <laughs> well, we just said we weren't going to talk about how we're doing, so I'm not going to answer that question. Oh, I mean, at the exact moment. <laughs> well, I'm really excited One. to be chatting with you again. Okay, great. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be chatting with you. Yeah, this good. is very exciting. It's quite a treat. Good. You know what else is exciting is that the good folks at Macmillan not only know about our podcast, but they were like, hey, you know what would be really cool? If you did a whole episode that was just about Michael Leslie and the audiobook of The Extraordinaries, which is coming out July 14th. And I was like, yeah, that does sound cool. And so here we are. <laughs> Hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I just want to start by asking you, like, from your perspective, how did you go about getting this gig? Well, TJ announced that he was going to be making The Extraordinaries a long time ago. Man, it was like probably four years ago. Uh, there was like a tweet about it. And there were like all of these connects about a superhero story in TJ's voice about a kid with ADHD that's like super queer and super cool. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> need to get this. Maybe I shouldn't cuss. I'm sorry. I won't do that anymore. Oh, no, we we swear here. Okay, Just good. ask the Australians. Oh, limey. <laughs> I know we have the best enough. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't go to lingo. Yeah, and so I just sort of asked as politely as I could if like there was a possibility if they or he would consider me for the role. And he'd say, basically, it's like out of his control, but he'll do the best that he can. So I was pretty uh, skeptical of my ability to get this job. And came up after he had signed with Tor. Actually, I don't remember if maybe that he'd already signed with Tor when the Extraordinaries was announced. But like a year ago, maybe, I like checked in and was like, hey, so just uh, wanted to check in on if you had someone for the book. And gave it to Tom Miss, who was the agent at Macmillan. And I guess within the day, they were like, had listened to some samples and noted some previous work that I'd done with TJ. We're like, oh, be good for the job. Which was very, very exciting. <laughs> I was like blown away when I got that email. I was going to say, you're, you're was, talking so casually about this. <laughs> like, yeah. So then they, they listened to some samples and... Trying to be restrained, you know? And like recounting the history because it's like... I don't know. Weird to recount all of the the moments of it because it's been a long time, you know, in the works. Pushed even further with like delays of late, so it's yeah. really exciting that I don't know this thing that I like more so than any other book because usually when I do a TJ book, I don't get the material until after the book has been released, and so. I'm reading the material and a lot of people are already familiar with it. Like I can check in with people for this one. I've been like intimate with this story for a really long time now and have maybe read it more than anyone else <laughs> because <laughs> like went back through many a time to sharpen it in the audiobook. So I've probably read this book, I don't know, four times. Yeah. Well, and of course we know now that it's being received really well by those who have read it. It's on the indie best list for this summer for YA and it's getting a ton of attention. And we know that Tor slash Macmillan has put a lot of time and energy and dollars into promoting it. And there's cool pins and there's a reversible cover. So like we know now that this book is like slated to be a BFD did you have that sense way back when, when you were getting hired, that like this was going to be a breakout moment for TJ? Yeah, totally. I mean, there is something about the the flavor, of, <laughs> I don't know, of superheroes where it's like literal breakout stuff. <laughs> Just superhero movies, I mean, superheroes, yeah, no, I'm I'm really talking about movies. It seems to be this thing that really like they're the biggest movies that are made. Like when a director attaches to a superhero movie, 
suddenly their name becomes like a household name. And the same could be said for actors taking roles. So it just feels like, especially in this time, which is a superhero era, like the Marvel universe just its first wave just closed and it was this 20 year arc you know it just happened I feel like superheroes are just on people's minds and especially because you know you look around you're like hey what if they were superheroes (laughs) how could they change the world I think about that a lot I hope you have a question as to which superhero would you be in the world Oh, I was just wondering if you had uh, ever thought about what kind of superhero you would want to be. For a long time, I was like, I'll be Dr. Manhattan. Because really nice shade of blue. Very, like, powerful. And, uh, you know, he's packing. But... These are all important attributes in a superhero. There's something about the ennui that you get from knowing everything. Doesn't seem like Dr. Manhattan's particularly happy. I think that I like some kind of uh, auxiliary character. Like, I just really like side characters in general. There's like like Hawkeye in the Avengers or Negasonic Teenage Warhead (laughs) and Deadpool. These side characters that have an opening where you could attach just any any storyline to them. It doesn't seem to really be written. It seems to be pretty vague, but also like uh mysterious enough. And I don't feel like I want I don't want any main spotlight. I just want to have like a quiet thing created behind me. Well, cuz if you have the spotlight, then you're in the most danger, right? A spotlight yeah. for a superhero is like a, a bullseye, whereas the like... sidekicks get to hang out on the side and then like kick into the situation. You know what it is? It's like the lack of complication. I feel like that that's really attractive. Just like a superhero doesn't have a plot. I mean, a main superhero doesn't have a plot unless they're like embroiled in some kind of like, I don't know, mega conflict or they're hypocrites because they don't have any conflict. So it just seems funner. Yeah. <laughs> to do the sidekick or the, I don't know, the day player character. So do you, like, what power would you want to have? Or don't you care as long as, as long as you get to be that sidekick? What power would I have? How have you, how do you not have a concrete answer for this? This is like one of those common get to know you questions. If you what, have any superpower, what power would you have? What power would you have? Telekinesis. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a really good one. I know. What's I think like, it's the best one. Well, what do you visualize being able to do with that? Like, why? Why that one? So I feel like you would need to be, like, have the finesse of, like, just even, like, picking things up with your hands. So I don't want to, like, accidentally crush a can of soda if I'm transporting it to myself so like a good finesse and like i wouldn't want it to be like so strong that like i could like push the world off its access but like enough to like lift up a plane but like i'd have to work really hard like i have to really concentrate because i also want with my telekinesis to be able to like fly myself yeah yeah i was gonna ask um yeah because like i don't want just flight as a power but like since i can lift things with my brain obviously i can lift me with my brain so I could like float around and be cool with that. And here's the other thing I've always thought about powers is I want them to work like other physical activity so that you burn calories as you use your powers Okay. because then I would actually exercise. Oh, yeah. I guess you could just be like moving your abs while you're just standing there. Yeah. So or even, like... even if it was just some sort of metabolic process that like as you use your powers, you're burning calories. Well, then you'd have because to I feel like the um a lot like a like Michael. Phelps. Well, well, if I use my powers a lot, yeah. If I was lifting up a plane, sure, I'd have to eat a couple granola bars. But otherwise, I feel like the only superhero they ever talk about that with are like the super speedsters, like the Flash, where he has to like eat a lot of food because he's metabolizing really quickly. Hmm. And I'm like, why wouldn't all of the superpowers require you to metabolize a lot of calories? Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's a pretty hard worker. 
So right. they probably are eating a lot. Yeah. Okay, so do you know what your superpower would be? Oh, well, I think that it would be like we're all in a computer simulation. So I would just be able to change things like as if we were in like SimCity or The Sims or any of the the simulator games. Like the joke of the comic would be that we're in a uh, computer simulation of some sort and I'm just like a user who has, you know, a click icon. That one is like pretty common, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I've ever had somebody answer that. Just I'm thinking, not like, even I don't fully want sure any... I understand. Oh, like, you know, so there'd probably be like the same kind of tools that you can do where you can like, oh, add a building or add a roller coaster. So or you can alter reality. Edit things. Yeah. But like it is limited. It's just like an interface that basically uh, controls reality. So it's like if I wanted to edit out like a universally controversial figure, <laughs> mm-hmm. you'd just be like, okay, we'll just move that to so the trash So it's like you're, you're tapped into the code of the universe and you can alter the code. Yeah, that would be a way of explaining it. Yeah, it seems right. pretty useful. And, you know, and then I'd be my you own might avatar. Be, I was going to say, you might be too powerful. You might turn into Is the it, villain. Yeah, because, you know, then nothing's really real. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. That's, I think, why I don't have an answer to the question. It's because with great power comes great responsibility. And it's just like, well, what superpower isn't great power? And, like, can I handle the responsibility? Usually, superheroes don't get to pick their powers, you know? So it's like, if you get to choose your poison, it's like the Last Crusade. Is that the one with the Holy Grail? Man, I have to admit at this point that I have never seen any of those movies. It's okay. I mean, Indiana Jones as an archetype is trash. But... I did grow up with them and I believe it is the last crusade. So he has this room full of cups and uh, it's like, choose wisely, you know, like which one's the Holy grail and uh, the German dude, the Nazi, of course, picks the ostentatious one. He drinks it. And he's like, no sweat. Uh, I mean, to that degree, something. And, and then he evaporates and uh, it's pretty horrifying. It's pretty cool. It's good special effects. And then uh, Indiana Jones, for some reason, I don't remember why he picks the shitty one. And it's just like, yeah, that's the cup. So he gets eternal life. Maybe Sean Connery does. Anyway, that's like the Holy Grail is a very hard decision because you have to choose the shitty one in a room full of goblets. And maybe the computer one is an ostentatious. Uh, Yeah, I'd be afraid of having too much power with that. Unless maybe it was maybe like restricted to a certain physical distance. Like you could only alter your reality like within 100 feet of your own physical self yeah that's kind of like like ice like what if i can just like frozen in the incredibles like you know you you can only do so much with that power that it's pretty cool but like will you be like emperor you know neo of the world no you know you might save the penguins yeah which would be sick you could you could have some some limited strong influence in certain areas, but you couldn't erase somebody from reality, which I do think like as sweet as that would be with certain people I know, we don't know what effect that would have. Maybe yeah. some other terrible reality happens. It's a butterfly because that person wasn't there. Yeah, weird. So, and all of this relates to the extraordinaries because powers. Well, I feel like. It's, it's part of the zeitgeist, you know, like <laughs> superpowers. I feel like it is it is something that maybe now more than ever people are really trying to consider. I mean, not literally, like not Elon Musk or whatever. No, it's but just but like, it's escapist. Like what what kind get, of yeah. superpowers could I use to like deal with this? Like we're in the middle of a pretty uh, substantial climate crisis that's very scary and could be mitigated by superpowers. I feel like Frozone would be great right now. And if you had a whole storm. team, Storm, yeah, why not? And yeah. in, in, in one of TJ's other books, there was a, a dragon who could just make nature just instantly prosper. Trees grow in an instant, you know, like the Brazilian rainforest, Australian wildfires. Those just happen. Mm-hmm. So let's grow those back. I feel like powers are, it's just a powerful image. 
And so it's very relatable. And in this context too, it's like, this is a story about a young man, a boy beset with a certain amount of tragedy who sees these very, like these icons who they're just local. (laughs) Like they're in the realm of, of touchability which makes them less theoretical and because of that it it's like in the scope of living in a world where these things that we can just dream about exclusively because they're not real at all if those were around like if you lived in Gotham City or in Spider-Man's New York I believe it is supposed to really be New York or or any Mm -hmm. like of the the universe's respective cities and you had this like cavalcade of supernatural or super powerful people villains and heroes around totally changes the dynamic of what you think is possible so it's just a fun thing to be living in and i mean that's that's largely what this story is about well let's do this for anybody who maybe has not yet heard about what this this particular book is. Can you give us sort of the, the rundown of what the basic plot is? Yes. Okay. So the story is about Nick Bell, who is a teenager in whatever, Nova City. And he's a spunky kid with a pretty wild imagination And he has a sort of fantasized, no, because that's, it is a fantasy relationship, but he, he fantasizes very easily, which is an attribute that I really respond to as like someone with ADD myself. And, you know, just to like get into extrapolate that it's, it's what we were sort of talking about with there being this theoretical world where superheroes live in and then it's actually he's living in the world where superheroes exist in Nova City and in the world of that world where they're just these features these anomalies that are pretty rare and extremely powerful and sort of guard or are villains and uh, people are just sort of around them like they just exist and they take care of things or threaten things. And for the most part, people are just going about their lives. And so we fall upon Nick Bell and his group of friends who are Gibby, Jazz, and Seth. And his father, who's a police officer in Nova City and so has to deal with the Extraordinaries, who's the sort of like pan name given to all people with superpowers who the cops just consider a nuisance. Sort of like, I guess Batman's kind of like that. Maybe it's like all superheroes. Yeah, X-Men are like that. They're vigilantes. They're not a part of a government agency. Yes, exactly. And uh, without giving away too much of the plot, we, it's just about his story of um, coming to understand it's, it's like hard to like put it into a a little maxim or phrase, like what it means to be extraordinary to yourself. (laughs) Like he, he comes to understand like what just the power of superpowers and just the power of being himself and the power of friendship, (laughs) the power of family (laughs) It's a powerful book. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, like I was saying, it's it's very full because TJ's strength is writing characters and this book is full of them. And it's it's about his relationship with the people who are in his life. And then also largely, it's about their relationships, which for the most part are unseen, but totally recognizable, which is like, I think the hallmark of a well-written book that it's just it feels very full the world feels very full and the stakes feel full as well 
So when you were approaching doing this work in particular, did you feel any added pressure? Yeah, totally. Yeah, this feels like a big job. I guess because of the publisher. It's just like one of the big five publishers. So it just felt like I I really do give uh I don't know, 110% is a cliche, but I go above and beyond on every book that I do. I just spend a lot more time than a standard. And sometimes that pays off and sometimes it's like extra. So I I feel like I, I went pretty above and beyond in this and just being very semi-obsessive. <laughs> Maybe that's a terrible word. <laughs> being very specific about creating the right voices for people in this and i might have i don't know maybe it's too much pressure (laughs) i don't know well i mean it's going to be a fine line to walk i totally i mean i would feel more pressure i would want to do a you know not not that you ever try to not do a good job on a book you you always work hard but yeah there is something about the potential of having that much bigger an audience. There's something about the publisher itself being like somebody who could give you a lot more work. Like these are all important things you have to consider just from, you know, the logistical side of, of being a narrator. But, you know, I would imagine it's also just really super meaningful having gone on this journey with TJ yeah. to then be also doing this project, which is like the first major book he signed with a major publisher, even though it's not the first one that came out, like this is the one that he signed with Tortine first. And you, you got to do this with him. Absolutely. I mean, my relationship with TJ feels so surreal because I know him uh, so much better through his writing than, I mean, we've had very limited interactions, but it's like, Maybe this is not true, but it has to be true. I feel like you you put forth pieces of yourself in your writing. And so from reading TJ's books, books that I've done and, you know, books that I, I haven't done as well, just his canon, I feel like I have a very loaded picture of who TJ is and how he thinks and a sense of humor for sure. And so, yeah, it's like stepping into this realm because this book, it feels different. There's like a little bit more compared to other books that specifically I've done with him. There's a lot more like gravity and with the writing here that just feels more like, I don't want to insult other things by saying that this feels more like a novel, but there's like this sort of journey feel, even if it's not about a journey that a novel has where it can amble like thoughtfully as you're sort of walking through it. It's like meandering through really like powerful thoughts over and over because so much thought has been put into it. And maybe it's like other books that I've read for him just feel like more sprying off the cuff, but this one has like a, just more gravity I feel. And so it was more of a performance. It was like more, there was more feeling in this piece <laughs> to speak as an actor and that, I don't know. It just, it resulted in like, there, there was a lot of things that I feel like were on the line and that I sort of fretted over and like wanting to make this good. And so it being powerful in more ways than the superhero metaphor, like emotionally powerful was just, it, it felt like something to live up to. And then it's also importance in the real world and it's importance to TJ's career were like, you know, those were back burners. Those were those were fondants on the old cake there. So I don't know. I put in a fuck little I put in so much work. I hope it's good. <laughs> I hope people like it. If they don't, you know, this is the you know, it's reasonable. <laughs> if they don't just really apprehensive. Yeah. Just <laughs> get five stars and say like to your friends that it was bad. That's it. No. I have every confidence that people are going to love it. So Yeah, I think so too. And, and and what we've gotten to hear so far, with, uh, I know Jeff and Will released the sample already, and part of this podcast will be releasing a sample as well. You know, what we've gotten to hear so far is, to me, 
taking into account everything you just said about how the writing feels uh, like it's leveled up, if I can sort of take everything you said and say that. Sure, yeah. It, it still feels like classic TJ Michael combo. Yeah. It's, it is elevated, but it is still that special something. And like you said, you feel you've gotten to know TJ. You feel you know his sense of humor really well. Like that shines through and it probably will no matter what you guys work on together. Yeah. I mean, absolutely right. It, it was fun, like just a lot of fun to work on this book. (laughs) Did your process change at all? I mean, it was still just you in a booth, right? Okay. So because we've sort of talked about this before. My process for the last few books has been pretty unique and like time consuming, like extra time consuming, maybe to the chagrin of my own time. But like, yeah. Wait, so did you just ask if it's me in a booth? Yeah. 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 No, same booth. Like you were pretty much still in charge of, of your own method of recording, right? Yes. Like there wasn't a director on Zoom or anything. Yeah, no, I... It was all, all me, baby. Uh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Th- I think your fans will be happy to hear that. So I did want to make a point of bringing that up. Yeah, I'm curious how this will stand up to like, you know, the hard hitters, the big dogs. And th- there probably is like a very, there's like a strong feature to having like a producer or a director that's not you, that's like helping you through it. But to me, also, like, working by myself gives me an, an intimacy that I feel un, in, unhindered by anyone's, like, you know, glowering eyes or uh, judgment. So I can try more things. And then I can, you know, with the, be- the gift of time, like, try it out, like, later. Like, listen to it back and be like, okay, well, that didn't work. Or, wow, who thought that that was even an option? So I, I do kind of feel like that's one of the powers that we have. It's nice. And maybe maybe that also is why people are gravitating towards it. It's like more of a personal experience this way. Yeah. It I mean, it's it's a totally different experience. As somebody who has not done the studio experience, it sounds like from people who have had to do both that they're they're pretty different. Yeah. And that one is pretty much universally preferred. The studio is perfect. And I get it. Yeah, I get it. Like, it's, I, I mean, well, you and I have talked about this before. As as actors, being collaborative is just more natural. It's just nice to have another body in the room. Oh, my God. It's been a long time since I've, like, collaborated with someone on something. And, you know, I think that that is even something that people probably don't, don't realize, that, like, we are not all walking into... Uh, big professional studios and that even a book like the extraordinaries which is getting this huge release and it's through a big five publisher like that you did that work that was on you yeah yeah that's true i guess people don't realize it and i haven't been pushing that too hard because you know it's like i don't feel like the real judgment of a book happens until after there's absolutely nothing that can be done about it so it's like pins and needles until it's released because you know the authors and the producers will say things that are like it's good or maybe not even that just you know it's acceptable that they have noted by it being accepted and it's like i don't know how this is gonna do and so yeah it Uh, yeah if if anybody at at home thinks that narrators get effusive praise after submitting a project back you can also come by yeah like that yeah there's no feedback until it is in listeners ears yeah and I thrive on feedback. So it really is like messages in a bottle. And then I forget about the bottle. And then, you know, over time, it becomes the world's first champagne and people open it up and they're just like, wow, you know, who made this? And I'm cast away. <laughs> uh, so many things happened in that metaphor. Yeah. So did you put a message in a bottle that was also full of liquid? Well, over time. Because I wrote it onto some kind of like corn paper. This is in the future. It uh, okay. destabilized and like biodegraded in in the bottle, you know, as it's uh, crossing the ocean, I guess. And uh, and then by the time that it got to shore, it had like fermented and someone drank it. They were like, what is this? And, you know, the rest is history. That's an audiobook. That's how they're made. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it in one. 
this is going to be an odd podcast, isn't it? <laughs> you know what? Listeners are just getting a really good uh, idea of what it's like when we just get together and talk about I'm stuff. I'm honestly so terrified because after we did the last interview, I was like, what the fuck did I say? <laughs> <laughs> you said so much stuff. We might release it someday as a standalone. I don't know. It was, I was really happy I, that so much got edited out. I would listen to the full thing, <laughs> like with my hands wrapped around my knees, just like, what is going to be on this thing? I like, I, it was like I went into a fugue state and I came out at an hour and I had no idea what had happened. Well, I can tell you, first of all, it wasn't an hour. It was longer than that. I, yeah, I don't even know how long we've been talking right now. Enough. Well, we've been recording for 45 minutes. We were talking for mm-hmm. an ample amount of time before that. It's what we do. We talk. We talk into microphones. Yeah, this is what podcasts are, right? Yeah. Just, I, yeah. That's the thing that like I listen to so many podcasts and I didn't know how much editing is really involved. It is, uh, it's a lot of work for that particular style of podcast, but thankfully I don't do it alone. So yeah, yeah. you got a whole little extraordinary team yourself. We, yeah. Ooh, maybe, maybe the Clunatics podcast should go through and do their, what superpowers they would have. I don't know. I like that. Some kind of, maybe we will be good. That would be good for this. Yes. Okay. Hi, this is Mia. My superpower would be the ability to be able to identify the perfect hobby for every single person that I meet and for them to understand that the minute I say what that hobby is, for them to take it on and go, yes, that's exactly what I've been waiting for. And the reason for that is I think any people that have hobbies really love what they're doing. And I think being able to inject that sort of love into the everyday would be super cool. So that's what I think I'd like my superpower to be. Well, that and being able to fly. Because honestly, who doesn't want to know how to fly? That'd be fucking awesome. Hi, this is Susanna. My superpower, I like to call it the jack of all trades because it is that I am naturally talented at everything I try to do. Because I hate those early stages of learning how to do something when you really have no idea so I'd like to sort of jump to the middle point where you've got it you're you're good at it and it's just about improving your craft I suppose basically I'm lazy and I want a superpower that helps me you know continue to be lazy that's that's it Hi, this is Johnny, and my superhero power would be teleportation for a few reasons. The first being the farm is like 86 acres, and that's a long, long way to walk. And second would be because I don't like flying, so think about that. Third would be I hate running, so there's that. And fourth, think about the gas I'd save. I mean, it just makes sense. Hello, my name is Louie also known as Hobo Hipster Superman. I walk from town to town, embarking on a new adventure upon my arrival. With my belongings wrapped in a cloth tied to a stick, I pull whatever it is I need from my pack to save the day, all the while looking ironically fabulous and eating things like goat cheese, kale, and bullshit pizza. Hi, this is Sita. Um, I think having any kind of superpower would be pretty cool. And I can't really decide what kind of power I would want. Um, so instead of having a massive crisis like some of the other producers did, um, I did a BuzzFeed quiz and my superpower would be mastery over machines. If that's a thing. I think it is. I kind of googled it further and it's something like technokinesis. Which sounds pretty cool. Hi, this is Angela. And my superpower would be along the lines of the music meister. A kind of verbal influence where if you can hear the sound of my voice, you want to do what I ask you to do. And also are compelled to sing and dance as though you're in a musical. Because, well, frankly, it's really on brand for me. And I really feel like we could make the world a better place. I know you're thinking that sounds more like a supervillain power, but I promise to use my powers for good and not evil. Just listen to the sound of my voice. 
Guess what just happened in the podcast? We just uh, cut away to hear that, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Go do some work. No, I mean, what's that? A paragraph? Not even. It'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good idea that I made, that I just made. Is there anything that you would want people to know? either about the book in general or about the audiobook before they go listen to it. This episode will come out the day before it's released. Ugh, I hate spoilers. So it's like so hard to say that I am intending on making a trailer, which is why I've been listening to it again. I mean, I really don't want to spoil anything. I will say that like a superhero story is largely also about fake identities. And so it's as much a mystery as it is an action. And I feel like with that in mind, and I don't even know if I want people to have that in mind because it's like going in fresh is just the best, but you're already listening to this. You dummy. Why don't you listen to this after you hear it? (laughs) It's just like I, the mystery element of it was very exciting to me and like made me, like make audible sounds when I did my first read through of it where I was just like, Whoa, (laughs) I did not expect it. And it was weird because like I had a whole, it's the last thing I got like super obsessed about, like where the plot's going is game of Thrones. We all know how that went. And I like, I just read up on theories. I like getting like deep into the, the mystery and, and you know, this, this book, it, there's things that resolve and there's things that have not resolved and it really leaves you on the edge of your seat in the the guessing game, which is really exciting. Yeah. Speaking of things that have left you on the edge of your seat, has TJ told you anything about the extraordinaries too? No, I was just about to say like he's written the, he had written the extraordinaries too before I started doing this. I believe he was finished with the extraordinaries before I got this copy. So I like, took that to mean similarly to how like Verena like two through four were written I think he wrote those contiguously I might be wrong but it, it pretty much did like one after the other after the other yeah I, I think he said that I assumed because it's like it, it's a, the the arc the structure of it it just like it makes sense that it was all sort of planned and I'm feeling very similar to what I'm expecting to to encompass it feels like like I'm at intermission, you know, at the, it's meant to be a trilogy. Well, that's interesting because like then he, it, like, it feels, hey, it feels that way. Right. I don't know because I don't like, what is a trilogy? You know, like we've committed ourselves to this, like three, the magic three, but then Verenia was four, you know, and star Wars is now like nine, which is made up of trilogies. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe I, I do understand what you're saying, but I, I could definitely see this being a series that goes on. Maybe not with just three because it feels like one but i wouldn't be at all i wouldn't be at all surprised if tj did plot out all three books before finishing the first one maybe it is a trilogy so that it feels what's well, a three book deal oh okay well then it certainly is a trilogy okay it's yeah, gonna I be a not... it's for sure gonna be a you're <laughs> michael did you know you're for sure doing three of these no i did, I did not know that it was a three book deal i was searching my head i think it's quintology or keen keentology you say it with an accent that's five but this isn't that you know Who yeah needs that? No. i am i am 99.5 percent positive that it's a three book deal specifically for the extraordinaries Jesus, one two and three that i didn't know that like, maybe it's better you didn't yeah exactly why spoiler <laughs> why be have exactly this? it's counterproductive but yeah i'm i wouldn't be at all surprised if if tj had it all plotted out and so it will feel naturally like there is an arc across all three books, even though I'm sure each one tells its own story as well. Ooh, I can't wait for the second one. But what are we even talking about? Because you haven't even read the first. And I'm saying that with the the general you, you know? Yes. But you haven't either. Well, not. I haven't finished it. That's true. So uh, I guess I'll just have to get the audiobook. Yeah, I hope you like which it. Which also you, everyone else should do. I hope everyone likes it. It's like not, I should be more affirmative. Everyone will like it. 
It's very good. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I fell in love with the characters. I, I fell in love with the characters. I was very excited by the twists and turns in the plot. I put a lot of work into making it pop where I feel like it should. And man, it was like, it was just a lot of fun to do, which as you've, as Kurt said, like not every book is. And uh, a book that I get really excited about either jumping into and especially in the listen back which i have that's always a good omen so maybe i shouldn't say always you know because that's a, actually a bad no omen i word. think but yeah i think it is i think if the narrator's excited about it it's almost always a good final product i think it will be great as, as subjectively good as something can ever be well then you don't say it i will Ugh, that's fine i'll say, say go get the audiobook it's great and yeah and we'll we will now transition to the clip that mcmillan has generously provided for us uh, so that you can listen to a part of uh, chapter two of the extraordinary gibby and jazz were waiting for him at the franklin street metro stop when nick stepped off the train they sat on a metal bench, pressed close together. Gibby was glaring out at the milling crowd as people were herded toward the stairs to the street above. Jazz blew a bright pink bubble, twirling her dark shaggy hair in her fingers. Her phone was in her lap, earbuds attached, one in her ear, the other in Gibby's. Gibby had decided she was a baby butch a while back, which led to her shaving her head and wearing a wallet chain. She made sure everyone knew that if they called her Lola, they were getting a boot to the nuts. Anyone who hadn't thought she was serious was corrected when a brainless jock had winked at her and she had done just that. He had to sit on an ice pack for a couple of days. Gibby got detention for a week. It had been worth it. Or so she claimed. She said the world needed more black dykes and she wasn't going to take shit from anyone anymore. Nick decided then he'd support her 100% in every decision she'd make from that point on. It helped that she looked good with a shaved head something Nick would never try, given that he'd end up looking like a bobblehead. Jazz's bubble popped when she saw him approach, and she smiled prettily as she sucked her gum back into her mouth. Nikki, I saw a pigeon eating a burrito on the train. I was going to take a photograph of it because I thought it was artistic, but then a homeless man wearing an orange coat kicked it and ruined the shot. Nick bumped one of his chucks against her chunky shoes that probably cost more than the entire contents of his bedroom. Kick the burrito or the bird? She shrugged. Both, I think. Then I was going to take a picture of the homeless man, but he started peeing in the corner, and I decided it was a good idea to switch cars rather than suffer for my art. You're a regular Van Gogh. For what it's worth, I like all your parts where they are, Gibby said, squeezing her knee. I would give you my ear if you wanted, Jazz said. Blue eyes wide as she snapped her gum. But then my face wouldn't be perfectly symmetrical. She frowned. Maybe that wouldn't be so bad. Uh-huh, Nick said. Fascinating, really. So, Gibby, you survived the summer of love. Congrats. She'd been gone for the last few months, her parents deciding that their family needed to rent an old van and travel the country under the guise of touring colleges, but in actuality, they were commune hopping as they'd both embraced a midlife crisis head-on, Gibby's words, and believed they made better hippies than they did accountants. Apparently, they thought the free love community needed more black people. Nicky didn't know what to do with any of that, so he patted Gibby on the arm in June and told her to have fun. He managed to avoid a boot to the balls. Barely. Lola Gibson was fierce that way. Her girlfriend, Jasmine Kensington, hadn't been pleased at the idea of Gibby being gone for so long. It certainly hadn't helped her anxiety that Gibby was in her senior year and would be graduating, heading off into the big wide world before she did. Jazz told Gibby she wasn't allowed to fall in love with some flower child who wore skirts made of hemp that she later smoked. Gibby had agreed immediately, not bothering to correct her girlfriend that most flower children didn't smoke their clothes. Nick thought they were... disgustingly sweet. Or sweetly disgusting? It really depended on the day. Gibby had gotten back a week ago, but Jazz had made it clear in no uncertain terms that she'd get all of Gibby's time before school started which was fine, seeing as how Nick had been busy trying to finish up the latest chapter of This Is Where We Scorch the Earth. 
They had their priorities, and he had his. Besides, hanging out with Jazz and Gibby while they reconnected after a month-long separation would have probably meant watching them make out and whisper lovingly in each other's ears. And Nick wasn't masochistic enough to bear witness to that for any length of time. He loved his queer girls. He just didn't want to watch them swallow each other's tongues, which was why he'd given them their space. He was selfless that way. Summer of love, Gibby repeated. She didn't sound amused. Nick took a step back to protect his nuts. Her boots looked new. He didn't want to take the chance they were still towed. Also, her wallet chain was bigger than the one she'd had before. And he wasn't versed well enough in lesbian to know if that signified anything. Gibby rolled her eyes. If I ever have to sit in another drum circle again in my life, I'll likely end up a mass murderer. Pick a school yet? Jazz frowned. Gibby glared. Nick took another step back. I haven't decided, Gibby said through gritted teeth. But thank you for caring about my future and bringing it up right at this very moment. Yeah, Nick said. I tend to speak before I think. I'll just... I can take it, Jazz said earnestly. I mean, sure, I'll probably cry and then my makeup will be ruined and it'll be all your fault, but I can take it. I have lady balls. I know you do, Gibby said. But I haven't made any decisions yet. You'll be the first to know. Jazz seemed placated, for the moment. Nick wondered how long it would last. But then Gibby smiled at him, and he realized he should have kept his big mouth shut. Lola Gibson had three smiles. The loving one she gave to Jazz. The one she had when she was trying not to laugh. And the one when she was about to be a magnificent dick. He'd borne the brunt of that last smile many times before, and it never failed to make goosebumps sprout along the back of his neck. So, Nikki, she said, and Nick gave very serious thought to ducking into the crowd and disappearing forever. Speaking of the summer of love, how's Owen doing? Nick scowled at her. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh-huh. And how's Seth? He scowled deeper. I still have no idea what you're talking about. Jazz, never having learned how to read a room, said, I thought Owen and Nick broke up. Remember? Nick said Owen was a dumbass, and Owen was his usual self, and said he couldn't be tamed by one person, and then Seth said he... Gibby slapped a hand over Jazz's mouth, cutting her off. Nick knew he was blushing, but he powered through it. What did Seth say? They ignored him in favor of having a silent conversation involving narrowed eyes and wiggling eyebrows. It went on for far longer than Nick was comfortable with. Finally, Jazz nodded as Gibby dropped her hand back to her own lap. Jazz said, I mean, I don't even know what we're talking about right now. Did I tell you about the pigeon and the burrito? It was a breakfast burrito. She squinted up at him. And a huge pigeon. Nick crossed his arms. It was months ago. We weren't, it wasn't like we were even boyfriends or anything. Owen was... Uh, Nick didn't know quite how to finish that sentence. In fact, most of the time, he didn't know how to describe anything about Owen Burke. Oh, sure. Owen was hot and popular, and everyone seemed to worship the ground he walked on, given that he somehow had the gravitational force of a super planet. All he had to do was grin devilishly, and most everyone, queer or not, would end up doing whatever he wanted. Including Nick, much to his dismay. Before Christmas break last year, Owen had appeared at their lunch table, smile wide and toothy, looking devastating in a leather jacket that had probably once been the finest bovine in the field. They knew who he was, of course. Everyone did. He came from big money, perhaps the biggest of all. His father being Simon Burke, CEO of Burke Pharmaceuticals. Seth was convinced it was a front for something nefarious, but Seth always thought everything was a front for something nefarious, including Owen. Nick, though. Nick had been, well, not enamored, not exactly, but he'd been 15 years old and hormonal, and Owen was probably the hottest guy in school, and for some reason had decided to make Nick the focus of his attention. Therefore, Nick proceeded to make an ass of himself on a regular basis. Jazz had been confused. Gibby had been annoyed. And Seth? Seth had withdrawn. Just a little at first, but it should have been enough to set off Nick's internal alarms. But Nick had been sucked in by Planet Owen. 
And it wasn't until Seth became downright hostile, something Nick hadn't expected from his best friend of nearly a decade, that he'd gotten a clue something was off. It was never to Owen's face. Seth was far too pure for that. But when it was just Seth and Nick, and Nick mentioned Owen for the tenth time in 36 minutes, yeah, Seth could be hostile. It was nothing, Nick finally said. I barely even saw him this summer. I was too busy. Uh Uh-huh, Gibby said, sounding bored with the entire thing. Stalking an extraordinary takes up a lot of time, I suppose. I'm not stalking him. Hey, sorry I'm late. Nick turned his head, and one of the best people in the whole wide world appeared next to him, pushing up his thick glasses, which had slid down his nose as they always seemed to do, a curl of his black hair hanging down on his forehead. Seth Gray, the person Nick trusted more than anyone else. He was wearing his usual baggy sweater, with a collared shirt underneath that was tucked into one of his many pairs of chinos. And today, for whatever reason, he had decided to wear a bow tie. And Nick didn't know what to do with Seth's bow tie that didn't involve wanting to reach out and straighten it for at least three hours, while whispering, he was too good for this world. He kept his hands to himself. Except... Did you get taller? Seth blinked owlishly at him. Since you saw me a couple of days ago? I don't think so. I mean, it's possible. I haven't measured myself in a few hours, but... You seem like you're taller. Oh. Seth looked away, reaching up and tugging on his collar. Um, thank you? Oh my god, Gibby mumbled. This still happens? I think they're precious, Jazz whispered to her. Nick ignored whatever they were talking about. He was still stuck on the fact that he and Seth were almost eye-level now, which caused him a level of consternation he wasn't prepared for. Not when Seth had always been pale and chubby, with curly hair that should have been illegal for how perfectly messy it always looked. But he'd been shorter than Nick, and... Are you wearing lifts? Seth shifted like he was nervous. No, I'm not wearing lifts. Maybe you're getting smaller. I'm not getting smaller. That's not a thing. Seth started to say something, but it was swallowed by his yawn. Nick frowned. Are you tired? Why are you tired? You look tired. Did you not get enough sleep last night? Seth reached out and squeezed his shoulder. I'm okay, Nikki. Just a late night. Doing what? Tossing and turning. Anxious about today, I guess. First day back and all. You know how I get. Nick did. Sometimes Seth worried too much about nothing at all. And it frustrated Nick to no end. Because it meant there was something making Seth feel bad that Nick couldn't tear apart with his bare hands. Gibby stood, pulling Jazz up with her. As fun as it is to watch you two do whatever it is you're doing, we're going to be late. I can't be late, Jazz said, putting her earbuds back into her bag. Daddy said if I show up on time for the entire first month, he'll buy me the Alexander McQueen skull embellished pumps. I need to continue to exist. Sounds fake, but okay, Nick muttered as he followed his friends toward the subway stairs.